this is Tamson Granger. This is Dan Abuha. With Tamson and Dan read the paper, we have a special guest today, Sadie Abuha. Is that my cue? Yes, that's your cue. Speak up, honey. Welcome, Sadie. It's uh, Boxing Day, December 26th, 2021. Day after Christmas, yes. But uh, notably the day after Christmas. So we had quite the Christmas celebration. Sadie was with us. Also, Zika Noel and the special guest of honor every second of the day, Pepper. And Pepper performed admirably. Yes, she did. She did exactly what you want the one-year-old to do. Yes. She got a stocking. Yeah. And it was filled with clementines. Yes. And she was delighted. <laughs> delighted. <laughs> one after another, she couldn't be more surprised. I was excited. And thrilled. <laughs> oh, it was funny. She pulled out the first... She likes clementines. No, no, you didn't have to go into the whole story. Well, the funny but, thing is, every she pulled out one, she loved it. She pulled out a second one, she was beside herself. <laughs> you know, it was crazy. And uh, she, and you know, every everything you expect of a one year old. She liked. She seemed to like the gifts, but she really loved the wrapping paper. Of course, of course. she wrestled with the cellophane for a good fifteen minutes. Yeah. So, uh, so it was. Uh, just what you'd expect, and delightful, yes. nonetheless. Yeah. And uh, so we had a very pleasant uh, day together. And uh, the, the funny thing is that uh, the Zeke and Noel had bought uh, everybody matching holiday tops. Yes. And uh, so we took a family holiday picture. Yes. And I had seen those. With holiday, I've, I've seen them in like commercials holiday, holiday and so on. sweaters or something. Well, but you they, know, the, where the whole family dresses fan, up in the were, same outfit. They were fantastic. They, well, the, the funny thing is yeah. that, uh, yeah, I mean, we don't know anything, so uh, we, we thought it was pretty, it was fun yeah. and unique, and we wore them all day. Yeah. You know, turns out it's pajamas. Well, at least you ruined it for me, but uh, I was... Yeah, I, I mean, I would just say, I got dressed. Nobody else did. I did. I, it felt like, to me, like a legitimate uh, sweater type. They I were clean, yeah. you know? <laughs> and here's the funny thing. So I did the laundry today. Yeah. And I went to look uh, for the care instructions. Yeah. Uh, and um, there are no care instructions. What does that mean? That means... That no one expects you to wear these ever again. Oh, really? <laughs> that they're made to take the family holiday picture and zip, that's all. Really? <laughs> so, oh, well, that's too bad. Knowing you and me, we'll be wearing them for every occasion. Exactly. I was going to wear them uh, the whole week. Very cozy. Yes. As, very as nice. pajamas should be. Yes. You know, maybe those uh, those kids who wear their pajamas all day, they, they know something. Yeah. Yeah, we're just wearing the tops, just so we're clear. Well, we had pants on. Yeah, we did. They were pants. real pants. Yes. Well, you I mean, weren't wearing pants yesterday. What? what? Let's not uh, let's not air our dirty laundry right here and now. Sydney. You wore a skirt. Oh, that's true. Uh, okay, so in any event, we had a nice Christmas, great Christmas. We had seen earlier the week uh, the, the James Bond movie because now all movies are on television or close enough to it. So in the our own living room, we got to see No Time to Die. And, uh, you know, I don't think there's a lot to say about it. It's kind of a James Bond movie, but it's a little bit uh, muted in, term, in some ways. And it's uh, a little serious. And uh, and yet nothing momentous happens at the same time. It's kind of odd. But, you know, I like Daniel Craig. As they like to say, he, he, he one saving grace in the movie is he's committed to the material, uh, whether it deserves that commitment or not. And uh, it kind of carries you along. Do you have any other any thoughts on that? I don't know. I'm not like a connoisseur of James Bond's film, but mm. what seemed to me is um, there was no wow factor. There right. was no, you get the feeling that people like to watch James Bond because 
you know, he's so cool. They right. want to be James Bond. Right. They want to dress like James Bond. They want to drink like James Bond. I don't think uh, this movie gave any of that. Right. You know? Um, so it was, it was a different kind of movie, I thought, for James Bond. Yeah, he's more action figure. They didn't have this sort of uh, relationship aspect. They sort of did, but there was no chemistry between him and the girl. And uh, he wasn't like the object of desire as he normally is. And he... Uh, he was serious. He was serious. And it, so there's a lot of shoot 'em up It was a lot of stunts. You can't say they shorted you on stunts. Right. The but, only chemistry I thought he had was with the woman earlier that right. where they... Right. Um, Anna de Ormus, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and the young girl. But it was just a short, brief fighting sequence and they fought very well together. <laughs> we can say that. But, uh, you know, we've also gotten a chance to watch uh, the Christmas movies, which we, you know, don't always get a chance to watch, but over the years we've watched them more than once. And, you know, I, I think in my mind, uh, I was pleasantly surprised that you can go back to these movies. And I'm talking in particular about the movies that I would call the adult Christ, uh, Christmas movies. The adult non-musical Christmas movies. Just so we're clear. I don't want to hear about Muppets, uh, you know, Christmas or anything like that. It's all fine. But uh, in terms of the adult Christmas movies, the movies that uh, are trying to say something that relates to Christmas or the Christmas spirit in uh, a semi-modern context or in a modern context, but they're adult films. And uh, the ones that I'm thinking Can you please of, stop saying adult film? Well, not, <laughs> <laughs> well, all right, Sadie. Sadie, you know, you're always bringing things down to a level that we, Mom and I managed to avoid. Uh, oh, yeah, so what do I mean? So why, why mince words? I'm talking about, of course, The Bishop's Wife. Uh, I'd like to call foul on this because we literally watch this movie every year. Okay. Yeah. So okay. for you to say like, oh my God, we watched this I, movie. All right, all right, all right, all right. Let me finish. The shop, I, the sh I'm not sure, but I have a feeling we uh, talk about it on the podcast. All right. Every right. year, yeah. Let me go to the next one. The shop around the corner. We didn't watch yeah. that. We I watched, watched it. We watched that like every two months. Okay. Yeah. Okay. okay. The shop no. around the corner. But the movie that I hadn't seen for a while, which in my mind is just is still a brilliant movie. Uh, is It's a Wonderful Life. And, you know, everybody kind of makes fun of It's a Wonderful Life, but I will tell you that I sat down and watched this, Sadie, with your little brother, Zeke, who I thought would stay with it for about 10 minutes, who was itching to go into some Marvel Universe show. Uh, and he had watched the whole thing with me, and at the end he says, you know, that movie is really extremely well written. Uh, and it is. It is. It's, it's a brilliant movie. I'm just carried away. I know you guys didn't watch it last night. But look, it's, maybe I have nothing else to say about it. You I guys... mean, I watched some of it. I accurately called that the gym was going to separate and turn into a pool. <laughs> I saw that coming a mile away. Is this the first time you've seen the movie? No. Then <laughs> what do you, how can you tell me you accurately called? I mean, if you've seen the movie before. Yeah, because we watch these movies all the time. And you're Ooh. saying that we didn't. Well, but I'm just saying, Sid, you can't really get credit for calling things in a movie that you've seen before. But anyway... Uh, it, they are serious movies in, in, in a sense. I won't use the same the adult movie thing. But um, it's interesting. <laughs> and they, they, they try to get at the same point uh, in different ways. And uh, All right. So the headline is... They're good. The Grabuhoffs like to watch adult movies uh, 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 during the holidays. This is, this is, there's a one-year-old creeping beyond the window here who's looking in. How can we be expected to concentrate with this girl walking All right, right up the Get back, back on track. Okay. okay? All right. So, but to keep the Christmas thing going, here's something. People are always talking about the negative. Here's something positive. Uh, am I wrong, or isn't it the case that all the packages that came in and were, were sent and delivered over the last week or two before Christmas actually were on time this year? 
as opposed to last year, recall all these screaming was, yeah, and there shouting. Was some, there was some big sniff. Last year, last yeah. year, but not this year. And, yeah. the, and uh, okay. it's not your imagination. All right, good. And it turned, the Times is on it, and it explains why. And here's the most mundane explanation you could possibly have. What? They said that when people were told to mail their stuff early to avoid this kind of difficulty, they did. They said people actually went and bought and mailed all their packages early, and that's why you avoided the snafus. Does that seem possible? Well, but there's a difference between, are you saying that the, the post office delivered everything on time? Pretty or, much, yeah. yeah. Well, but that's uh, that's fine. But the, I, the big snafu last year was really, um, you know, like people made purchases on Amazon, and they didn't get well, to where uh, they were supposed to they, be. They cover stuff. Look, they didn't suffer everything, but they cut All right, so fine. Federal Federal Express, moving right along. You got anything else? I think that was a big deal. All right. Here's another article in the Times that I thought was really weird. Here's the headline. A COVID test? Just what I wanted. Here's what the headline says. Gift givers are adding an unlikely item to holiday lists, and that is leading to shortages. And you're saying to yourself, you're kidding me. People are giving COVID tests as gifts, and that's resulting in shortages in COVID tests? And then you read the article, and there's not a single thing in the article which relates to that thought, which is just weird. Uh, they just Here's a hot take. I think the COVID tests are going out of stock because of the Omicron variant yes. <laughs> and not because of Christmas. Yes, uh, right. Well, you're right. I don't understand why the Times uh, had this headline. If anything, they're oh, going to create Daniel, please. They're going to create the show. No, right. no, the Times just once. The Times is saying, hey, you know, we can make this a big thing. Why don't we just say it's a thing? Look, I don't, and then everybody will join in well, and I, start giving these tests to everybody so that everybody can take the tests and so on and so forth. But it, it's actually no joke. Um, I, I can't say that anybody's giving or getting it as a gift. Yeah. But I know um, you can't get we've, we've had a lot of um, um, an, an increase in positive right testing around here so i was curious about uh making an appointment or getting home tests and uh couldn't get a test for like over a week Mm -hmm. which doesn't seem terribly helpful and uh all the um home tests were out of stock yes no that's so the article all about it being out of stock we all know it's all out of stock but But it's not because people are giving but you know we we read a fair amount of Articles in the New York Times where the headline says one thing and the body of it doesn't substantiate yes. it at all. Right. So that will go under the heading of not new news. Not right? new news. Okay. All right. But all right, Sadie, talk about something important. Go ahead. Well, let me tell you about something that everyone in Washington, the District of Columbia, knows to be a fact. Alex Ovechkin is a great hockey player. And everyone in D.C. knows about it. Turns out, new information for the New York Times. They're like, oh my goodness, he's breaking records. He's been breaking records all his, all career, all season this year. He's doing a great job. And apparently nobody else realizes this. But if you're in D.C., I would say I would say that he is probably the preeminent uh, athlete in D.C. for is the that last right? several years. Really? Um, I think so. Okay. Who do you think would rival him? Brian Harper. I don't know who that is, but I'm sure it's a lovely gentleman. <laughs> Psst, baseball. Baseball. Uh, well, to be honest, I think Ovi's got him. Let me tell you why. How about Max Scherzer? I don't think... Is he still in the District of Columbia? No, he's just signed with the Mets. But well, then there you go. <laughs> okay. Couldn't sorry. wait to get out of there. Um, Let me tell you, I've been to a few Caps games yeah. this year. 
And let me explain to you the Ovi effect. Yeah. When we sing the national anthem at the beginning of the game, yeah. there's a part where the word O comes into play. Yeah. And it's traditional in other parts of the country when there's, you know, you go to a Dallas Stars game yeah. and they say the word stars during the anthem and everybody says stars. Yeah. When you go to the Golden Knights game in Vegas, you say the word night during the anthem. Everyone says night. Yeah. It's like a big thing. Okay. When you go to the District of Columbia, you say the word O, everyone says O because it's the big O, Ovi. So yeah. in other areas, yeah. you know, they're celebrating their team name. In the district, we're celebrating Ovi. Also, yeah, also interesting because it's the U.S. national anthem and Ovi is Russian. Doesn't matter. Still the best. Okay. Well, look, what amazes me is everybody, well, let's ask your mother. She knows a little bit about hockey, but she's not an, uh, an ardent fan. Who's the most famous hockey player ever? Who's the first one that comes to your mind? The great one. Well, I guess Gretzky. There you go. Not, no, no, I'm no. Not a, that's an that's, NHL that, fan. That's a good answer. That's Gretzky, a good answer. That's what I expect you to say. Gretzky yeah. is the player that his number is retired in every team. On any team, you're not allowed to wear Gretzky's number. Really? No I didn't even know that. Yeah, Gretzky, and yet this article points out that Ovechkin is breaking Gretzky's records. He's on the way. Yeah. So Gretzky holds the record for all-time goals at 894. Yeah. Ovechkin is at 752. And he is 36 years old. He just signed a five-year deal with Washington. So the theory is he'll play five more years and hopefully get to that total. He's going to hopefully score around 50 goals a year. So he's got a couple more years until he gets close to that number. All right. But they say he's on pace to do it. All right. Well, you know, I, if he's breaking lifetime records by Gretzky, that kind of puts him at the head of the class for, or close enough to it. Mm-hmm. It's weird. Uh, it's weird. Did he, do, you would know this. I just have no idea. Did he come late to the NHL because he played a couple seasons in the Russian Hockey League? Or is that not the, the case? The KHL? Yeah. To be honest, I don't know. Because that would make it started. even more impressive because uh, he had fewer years in the NHL. Uh, he's definitely been, it says a total of his 17-year career. So I think he came over pretty early. Okay. Because he's 36 now. Well, you know, Gretzky started in what was called the WHL, the World Hockey League, but he was 17 years old. So I don't know how that cut. So, and and they, those records, they may have counted his goals in the World Hockey League because it was absorbed by the NHL. Could be. All right, you look into that. Uh, yeah. Well, look, it's, uh, it's interesting. He's a huge star. Um, all right, Tamsin. All right. Rodan. Rodan. <laughs> well, this is a fun article for me because... I don't think it's Rodan. No? I think it's Rodan. Rodan. Okay. <laughs> um, anyway. Uh, Rodan, we, uh, combines two things for me. Cemetery art and art art. Okay. It's like your yeah. two best things. And by two best things. Cemeteries and art. Yeah. And um, anyway, it's a, a story about a Rodin bronze yeah. that's in a uh, cemetery in Middleburg, Virginia. Yeah. And the descendants have decided to take it off the monument and sell it, which sounds bizarre, doesn't it? I well, mean, uh, got a lot of money there's all for kinds it. of interesting sculpture yeah. on. on uh, you know, memorials in cemeteries, if, if everybody starts just uh, 
you know, removing them and selling it's them to the highest bidder. It's not illogical. It's not illogical. It's totally illogical. It's a weird thing. It's supposed to be a, a you know, eternal monument. But I'm sure the person whose grave is marked is long forgotten. Well, I, not by the descendants. And, and, and does it really matter anyway? I mean, I... I no, I don't. I, wait a minute. Well, let me tell you the whole story. Okay. Okay. So um, there was this uh, woman, Elizabeth Musgrave Croswell. Yeah. All right. Uh, who was married to um, a wealthy guy, a the former Charles Croswell, governor of Michigan. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. She uh, just a couple, a few weeks after. He, He suddenly dies. She gives birth to a daughter uh, a few weeks later. Mm -hmm. And not long after that, her stepson overdosed on morphine. This is in 1891. I didn't even know people overdosed Mm. on morphine in 1891. Mm. So he dies. She's having kind of a sad life. And, And then in 1904, her daughter dies. It says because complications from diabetes. So she's like 21 or something when she dies. And she marries, she remarries uh, um, a timber tycoon, Thomas Merrill. Okay. And she and Merrill commission Rodin to make a memorial for her daughter. Okay. Okay. They commissioned other stuff as well. They say there's some busts, etc. They made this commission in 1908. Right. Rodin dies in 1917 without having finished Mm -hmm. uh, the memorial. And what the memorial depicted was a mother as kind of embracing, cradling her uh, dying daughter. Mm -hmm. The the Merrills, I guess, convince uh, the estate to uh, give them cast. You know, there's a a marble Mm -hmm. uh, sculpture and... uh, the unfinished marble sculpture, the um, estate keeps, and that's in the Rodin Museum in uh, Paris now, but uh, they give the Merrills two um, casts uh, of, uh, of it so that they can have, oh, they can have a, um, they have a bronze one that they think they keep indoors, and then they have the bronze one that was uh, installed as the memorial. Mm-hmm. And interestingly enough, the memorial basically just, uh, it doesn't read like a regular, what I would call a regular uh, tombstone. It says Elizabeth Musgrave Merrill and has her dates and her daughter, Sally Hicks Croswell by Auguste, Auguste Rodin, commissioned by Thomas Davis Merrill. So it's almost like a... Um, card in a right, museum, the museum right. describing an artwork right. not really uh, like a monument they had one, a, another piece by Rodin which is a, a, be- a beautiful little marble um, almost relief of a child's hand mm-hmm. which they uh, donated to our national gallery here in the US um, anyway uh, they have decided to it's in a cemetery uh, and they've decided to sell it they being the, the descendants, mm-hmm. um, okay. and they won't d- discuss it. They've said it's widely recognized, and they feel it's vulnerable to theft. That it's not even secured mm-hmm. to the support. 
well, it's bronze deal. You know, it's very, very heavy. Yeah. You know, it's uh, it's fairly large. And size. where is this? We're not, this is in Middleburg, Virginia. Okay. Okay. Um, so, and, and people are kind of up in arms. This is a bizarre thing to do. Mm-hmm. There are very few examples of, uh, you know, art done by famous uh, artists in cemeteries. So it's hard to compare it to anything. Mm-hmm. But it's just strange. Mm-hmm. And uh, people are trying not to be... Uh, critical but uh you know i i agree that it is strange um and uh the uh, article actually mentions that the romans um warned against uh you know defiling uh tombstones like this uh, there's one that in uh rome i think that says anyone who defecates on or violates this tomb will be cursed with blindness well, okay. so maybe they should have had a warning like that. But it's it's kind of uh, yeah. bad optics, as we like to say. Yeah, all right. Well, it's an odd story. But, I mean, it's it's not like a headstone. It's, it's, it's something else that someone put on later. But, right? Yeah, yeah. But it's a, you know, it's a, um, it's a legit memorial. Yeah. So, yeah. I, like I'm saying, there's a lot of fabulous cemetery art. So well, if you're going to start selling off the cemetery art. I know, I know, I know. What? A lot of great art in the museums was originally, you know... Um, For tombs. Yeah. 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 Those memorials themselves. And when we think of... There's a one-year-old knocking on and the Daniel, door. just try to concentrate, okay? <laughs> okay. All right. Here's my question, though. If someone steals that... And then tries to sell it to someone else. Don't people know, like, well, that I, is a famous... Like, how do they get away with that? Yeah, it never works. Stolen art is, is yeah. very hard to... So, you just have to want it. And, um, you know, if the person who sells it, uh, who steals it, wants it. And right. they'll keep it in their own place and no one will ever know. But also keep in mind, these people have a another copy of I, this. Keep also in mind that Rodin never finished it. Okay. So in some ways, it's not a fully realized well, but Rodin. That will be it doesn't have his seal of approval. Do they have his cast, too, or whatever? Couldn't they just make more of it? They could. Um, well, it was a marble sculpture. Okay? They made a cast. So, oh, okay. You know, they could make more casts of it. But um, I don't think... I think the people who own this bronze don't have... The rights to do that. Oh. Hmm. All right. Well, if they did, they probably wouldn't be selling it. I think that's your point, Sage. I think that's true. Uh, all right. So look, we'll see. See if this leads to more of that kind of stuff, uh, which I know would trouble you. Uh, the uh, <laughs> all right. Quick three tech things, uh, which is just you know the good, the bad, the ugly. Uh, we'll start with the ugly. It's an article in the Times says thirty years on, gadgets are still too hard to use. They uh, pick up on an article by a fellow named Walt Mossberg, a pioneering personal technology journalist who wrote a column 30 years ago in the Wall Street Journal complaining about the complexity, the unnecessary complexity and difficulty associated with tech products. And they interviewed him again. He says the same. Nothing's changed. It's still the same. Tech is unnecessarily problematic and troublesome. It's too hard to use. And the examples he gave then are still the examples they refer to now. And they are, let's see if you agree, routers, 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 routers excuse me, routers, <laughs> modems, and printers. 
Yeah, that's what everybody complains about. Routers, motors, and printers. There's but no reason. So many other aspects of tech has improved so dramatically. Yeah. You know, and is so user friendly. And printers just uh, drive you to. Drink. Printers are insane. I mean, yeah. I, I don't understand that. Uh, all right. So the more things change, the more they stay the same. Although and the routers are fine. As long as, you know, if you buy a new one every year, you're good. Well, plus they say you got to be an What's a few thousand dollars? They say you have to be, the instructions for routers are written for IT persons. That's 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 their big complaint. That is true about instructions in general. Yeah. They have, they have an engineer write them. Yeah. And uh, the people who are installing them are not engineers and uh, don't have the same... Uh, you know, what, what would you call it? Context, format, right. whatever. No, they can't understand it. And it's not made to be understood. Um, okay, what else you got? Uh, here's another technology thing which caught me by surprise. There's a statistic that says that uh, women are much more likely to be injured in a car accident than men. A woman is 73% more likely than a male driver to be severely injured if the car crashes. 17% more likely than a man to die. And they're trying to figure out why that is. And they concluded that one of the main reasons that is, is because the way the, the cars are designed with safety in mind, that's prompted by testing done with crash test dummies who are, who have been male. All the crash test dummies male. Are, It says they're, in the article they're male. It's depicted as male bodies. They're male crash <laughs> test dummies. They have male. They use the male facilities. Male they, they, they use, you know, the ones that say caballero. That's where they go. Yeah, they're male. And they figured the way to address this was to have female crash test dummies. <laughs> and uh, they say that their high hopes this will have a substantial effect because just the weight of the dummy, the way the weight's distributed. You mean women are different from men? Well, you know. This is, this is such a riot. You I know, think it's we, like, we, we knew women were different than men. So much of the medicine stuff is, you know. And finally, we decided we should uh, look at uh, women uh, specifically as opposed to just uh, assume that. Uh, well, but, but, Tamsin, did you have, what? You've seen, we've seen ads over the years of crash test dummies. If you had yourself. How come all the crash test dummies are look like men? How come they don't look I like women? I didn't even look at the crash test dummies, uh, but it seems that, it's it bizarre. Seem like... It took them a hundred years to. It's completely this out. bizarre. Well, all right, all right. Especially because you know they have children crash test dummies. They do, but they're probably men. They're probably boys. What can I say? It's a, it's it just a, seems so stupid. Well, they, they're, they're turning the corner on this. Also, Fine. just the thought that like they only have one size crash test dummy. Well, that's another point. you got to figure that not all men are the same size uh, either. Well, that's another development. Is they, that true? They only have one size? Yes, they do. Well, they, they did. But well, now they're changing you gotta say, you got to think if they had a smaller one, maybe that could be you know more representative of the average female height and weight. But they obviously you know, don't. It, just, it's just so, it seems so clear that, that men see... Women as just slightly inferior men. No, no, no. You know? it's, 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 Smaller, slightly inferior men. And so, you know, subject to all the same all right, all forces right. of gravity. I'm glad that we have straightened this out. But, but to, to Sadie's point, they now have crash test dummies that are a little more portly, a little more obese, because they say that people like that do drive cars once in a while. And they want to design around that, too. All kinds of people drive cars. Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. All right, so look for that next time you see an ad with crash test dummies. It just makes you wonder about so much. Here's something. What? Uh, that's a positive development, although is it practical? I don't know. You know, people talk about whether electric cars are going to be successful or there are enough charging stations. And, of course, there's a great effort to invest in charging stations. Even so, it takes a long time to charge the car. Uh, maybe that will improve. But here's something. Uh, there's a new technology that... Uh, 
promises the notion of roads, roads that will actually charge the car. In other words, by driving over a particular road that's constructed a particular way, your electric car will be charged. I find that horrifying. <laughs> the idea that we're going to have electric roads all over. Inductive All these electric charging. forces, I will, we're going to be buzzing. Let me just read you we're a sentence because be... I don't understand it. The technology works by adding small particles of recycled ferrite to a concrete mixture which is magnetized by running an electrical current. This creates a magnetic field that transmits power wirelessly to the vehicle. That can't be good for us. Uh, it, it's uh, it, it really they're can't. doing it. Well, maybe the we're going to glow the, in the dark. Maybe the car will be made out of you know like lead, like when you wear lead oh, for X rays. <laughs> Look, they're doing it right now in Indiana. They're building these roads, and uh, Michigan's picking up on this to build the roads. Here's the thing that I think is a little bit limiting. Cost estimates to electrify roads in both directions, both directions, vary widely from 1.1 million to 2.8 million per kilometer. That sounds pricey. Yes. And, and imagine you got to tear up all the roads and do it, and then the roads get broken up, and there are potholes, and oh my God. Well, look, you heard it here first. What can I say? All right, so there was an article, uh, yeah, here's a real short article, but as a, as a teacher, Tamsin, you'll relate this, and as a student, say to you, will too. There's a guy who's teaching named Kenyon Wilson, who's a professor in the University of Tennessee, and he wanted to test whether any of the 70 students in his class actually read the syllabus. Why? Because he was curious as to whether they read the syllabus. Every teacher knows they never read the syllabus. Well, he knew that too. So he what he did is on the three-page syllabus, on page two, he included, he, he described the location and combination to a locker, inside of which was a $50 cash prize. And no one recovered the $50. None of the 70 students read the syllabus and went to the locker. And, and this is news? I, I, I expect everyone to read my syllabus. Of course you do, dear. <laughs> I do. I guess now I know better. All right, I'll put that aside. You knew this. You're the veteran teacher. Uh, the guy wasn't bitter about it. He just said he, uh, he suspected this would happen. That's why he put the $50 there. Um, all right, uh, fine. On to the next thing. Well, here's an article. It's, it's serious. Um, the Ukraine, um, the president of the Ukraine is a former comedian. I think some of us are vaguely familiar with this. He was elected two years ago. That's a little bit interesting. Uh, and... Now the Ukraine is, you know, in a tough political situation with the Russian troops sort of massing at the border and people are concerned about what's going to happen next. Uh, and when a lot of people are expressing concern because they say the cabinet, his advisors, the other officials at the head of the government, are also people in show business who were helped this guy in his career as a comic. That's who he chose to be in his cabinet. He's not surrounded by the normal... Because they gave con- him good, vi- good advice... The choice about is, his his stand up career. Well, here's a, a, so he yeah. figures they they can well this is the, help this him is, run the country. This is what happened. The way he was elected was um, on television. He played a school teacher whose tirade against corruption is filmed by his students, and he winds up online, goes viral, and propels him to the presidency. Then he had a campaign mimicking the television show. And he was helped along by the people who, you know, who worked on the television show and they became the cabinet and they're in the cabinet now. 
and they asked one of the persons, members of the cabinet now, whether he feels that these people are equipped. And his response was, yeah, he thinks so. Quote, humor is a sign of intellect. A sense of humor <laughs> is a gift. And so what they do is, in order to downplay the notion that they're just comics or that he's just a comic, and the other guys weren't comics necessarily, but they're showbiz types, um, they don't kid around too much. He, he does not, in particular, he never makes a joke, apparently. He follows the president. Because he doesn't want to bring that up. He doesn't want people to see him as comedian. They want them to see him as more serious. Well, he, wants to, he wants to be taken seriously. Exactly right. right. And they asked somebody uh, in the group again about whether the meetings... You know, since they're showbiz types, since he's a comedian, whether the meetings himself behind closed doors, you know, it's just one joke after another, one one-liner after another. And the answer was, no, there aren't too many jokes, but the ones people make are much higher quality than you normally have in a meeting of uh, government officials. Yeah, well, who cares about that? Yeah. Really? All right. So we'll see how that works out. I, you know, it's, it's a little it's, bit scary. It's a little bit scary. Uh, and it's weird. All right, look, I wanted to get to uh, our last. Uh, well, this point. is an article that uh, I think it uh, came out a little while ago, but uh, I just uh, uh, saw it online at the New York Times. Your mom is destined to annoy you, and uh, it says the article starts out. I have a forty-eight hour serenity limit when I'm with my parents. After two days, it's like an alarm sounds inside me and sends me right back to 1999. I'm a petulant teenager again with a bad attitude, and everything my mother says, no matter how innocuous, uh, inspires the response, Ugh, Mom. You know, leave me alone. So anyway, I it just uh, she goes on to say that it turns out, um, you know, everybody seems to go through this regression when they go home. And uh, you see that sometimes. And it turns out it's um, there's a reason for it. It's predictable. It's called family systems theory. Okay, so uh, when you um, have a family, uh, what evolves is uh, everybody's different role. And that creates a sort of equilibrium as time goes on. Yeah. And so whenever that family, that group gets back together in that context, yeah. everybody... Uh, is going to sooner or later go back to their official role. Yeah, sure. Right? Um, whether you're the appeaser, the family clown, the petulant, you're you're going to be thrown right back where, uh, right back there the second you walk through the door of your childhood home. Um, and uh, what's uh, even more startling is, well, I mean, uh, not, I guess it's not so startling, but uh, they quote a research uh, professor at the University of Michigan, Kira Burdett, who says, who has been studying tension between adult children and their parents, and uh, they come up with 94% of people uh, report tension with uh, their parents. Well, you got to figure you're going to have tension with people you deal with the most, right? Right. That's like saying 94% of people have had a fight with their spouse at some point in the last, you know, six months. Well, okay. but some people don't deal with their parents uh, very much at all as adults, and it's still the most... Uh... Anyway, and what is the closest and most irritating of all these relationships? Mothers and daughters. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> um, so they give some advice about how to deal with all of this. Uh, number one, prepare. 
Okay, just say to yourself, it's going to happen. Maybe a change of scenery. If there's always a big fight at the dinner table, try having everybody go out to dinner. Okay, so the change of location uh, may. Try to find empathy, all right? Um, uh, adult daughters feel criticized by their mothers. Mothers feel their daughters are being too sensitive. So uh, you're, you're supposed to, uh, I don't know, try to identify with each other and avoid uh, triggers. Keep away from criticizing mothering skills, for example. And if you're a grandparent, bite your tongue. Don't say anything about anybody's parenting skills whatsoever. Really? Even the Even the slightest observation can be misread as criticism all right and uh, another piece of advice don't expect change it is what it is and finally make space for your for yourself in other words you know hide out in the bathroom for 10 minutes okay. take a breather try to exercise um and uh, one person says, uh, I always make sure when I'm with my family, I exercise first thing in the morning. It gives me a break from them and is also a good conduit for ambient rage. Ambient so, rage. Not that any of this is going on well, here. This is cl- during the <laughs> I was going to say, season. Sadie was a teenager in 1999. Excuse me. What? Let's not put dates on this situation. <laughs> Anyway, so uh, and then and then they have a whole lot of other uh, articles you can read about dealing with your kids. So uh, very very helpful, the New York Times. Not real. So all right, back to the fray. Yes. All right. So uh, yeah. So that sort of wraps up our Christmas edition. Uh, yeah, we got to start preparing the end of the year segment. Yeah, the end of the year. Hey, top top one hundred segments of the year. Exactly. Is that what you're we have to go yeah. through all the previous podcasts and pick yeah, out the top the, moments. The, or or are we going to do like um, you know like our ten best movies, our ten best meals? Oh, we can our do that. Ten best children. Are you going to do a montage of your crew? Yeah, oh, that would be nice. Yes, you know this kind of thing doesn't happen without all those people in the truck. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you got to put them on the Amazon truck. The Amazon <laughs> truck, right? All right, these are all good thoughts for next week. Uh, until then, uh, thanks to our guest, Sadie. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and this is Dan Abuhoff. Tamsin Granger. And uh, we'll be back. With Tamsin and Dan, read the paper. Possibly. <laughs>